starting a new sermon series. It's kind of a mini-series. It's all about Easter. And I decided to title this series, Rethink Easter. Yeah, Max, did you have something? Pardon? Steve and Sheila Harrington are going to be here next week. <laughs> Thanks. I, I didn't really take a lot of time for announcements. But um, if you want to hear about the ministry that they're doing right here in Fort Wayne and around the world, please come to Sunday School, and they're going to share during the Sunday School hour. And then I'll also ask them to share a little bit during the worship time. But you can get a lot more information if you'll come at 9 o'clock next Sunday and hear about the mission that they're working on. All right, so rethink Easter. I don't want us to just think about Easter as that day of bunny rabbits hunting for Easter eggs and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ by eating as much candy as we can. (laughs) But we need to prepare for it. And that's what Lent is about. So that's what I want the rethinking part for us to do. I personally, I know I love preaching exciting messages about what Jesus has done in our lives. And the power that He gives us through the resurrection power that He has from being raised from the grave. And I love to get other people excited about it. But I don't think we can really do that if we don't understand our brokenness before Easter. So these last few Sundays of Lent, before that Easter Sunday, I want us to focus in on our brokenness. I don't like preaching it any more than you like hearing it. But I think God wants us to sometimes examine our heart. Where are we? So we are going to look at that there might be trouble in the world. Boy, that's a surprise, isn't it? There might be trouble in us. And then I want you to realize why God makes such a great invitation for all people to come to His table. That will be Palm Sunday. And then, on Easter, we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ who gives us eternal life. Everyone who comes to Him will not perish, but have eternal life. And on that Sunday, we are going to celebrate that Sunday through baptisms also. So if there's anybody here that has not been baptized, let me know. I'd love to include you, but um, we have at least two already that we're going to be doing on Easter. And I've been a pastor for a lot of years. This is the first time I get to baptize people on Easter Sunday. I think that is going to be so cool. What a blessing for everybody. So that is the sermon series overview. And I want you to be aware of the anchor verse. You killed the author of life. Ugh. Like I said, we might be in trouble. But God raised him from the dead. That comes from Acts chapter 3, verse 15. 
So our summary for today, on this fourth Sunday of Lent, we want to consider God's wrath. God's wrath when the world turns its back on Him and His truth. No one has an excuse. God's Word in the book of Romans, that's where we're going to go if you want to start to open up your scripture to Romans chapter 1. It helps us consider the idolatry problem, the world's love for sin, and the obvious results that we see in the world today. Romans chapter 1 is where we'll start. But I want to ask a question first to get you thinking. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? When I ask these questions, there are really an unlimited number of answers that people could say. Let me just throw out a few that maybe popped into your head right away. Russia. Putin's war on Ukraine. China. And their ambition for domination. What's wrong with the world? COVID-19. How about the economic system? Hmm. What about our own government turning its back on God? What's wrong with the world today? The education system? Excessive law enforcement? Maybe not enough law enforcement. Corporate privilege? Climate change? How about the rapidly declining morality? in the world apostasy what about those evangelicals maybe that's what's wrong with the world every group has their idea on what is wrong with the world and every person can probably put those in order of what the biggest trouble is the biggest culprit but what if we don't limit ourselves to the last few years. Can we ask this question in a way that includes all of human history from the beginning of time and all the way to the end of human history? When we ask what's wrong with the world, I think we also need to be sure that we don't leave out that person that most of us are prone to leave out ourselves. All right, let's read Romans chapter 1. These next two sermons, today and the next one, are large pieces of Scripture. Today we're going to be looking at the second half of chapter 1, starting at verse 18. And next week, I I encourage you, please read chapter 2 during this week sometime. We're going to be looking at all of chapter 2 next week. But this week, the world might be in trouble. Let's read this, um, starting at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. 
who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look look like a mortal human and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. But of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Yes, the world might be in trouble. We see the trouble in these verses, starting right out with verse 18. The fundamental problem that we all face is the wrath of God against sin. All our sin is in direct opposition to the holiness and the righteousness of God. His righteous response to our sin is a holy wrath. It's not passive. It's not impersonal. It's it's not some type of mechanical response. No, this is the active 
the righteous, the personal fury of a holy God against sin. This is the wrath. The world is under without Jesus. Have you noticed the difference in the way Christianity and the world talks about evil? Most people have no problem recognizing the evil of a crime or a murder, mass shootings or or war or abuse. It is so easy to see how these evils hurt other people. But that is not the ultimate, ultimate problem. According to Romans, the ultimate problem of the world is not the way that our sin hurts other people. The ultimate problem of the world is the way our sin offends God. What's wrong with the world? Why is God's wrath being revealed? We see three reasons in these verses that I read. The first reason God's wrath is being revealed, we can see from verses 18 to 20. 18 to 20. The world ignores truth. The reason people sin is not because they do not know better. People sin because they have chosen to ignore what creation clearly reveals about God. You know, we live in a universe that God created. Throughout the universe, from that delicate flower to the boiling hot sun, God communicates to us His invisible qualities of truth. Every blade of grass that we're going to see starting to pop up out of the ground shortly Every beautiful color of this world, all of creation is intended to make us rejoice in our Creator, God. We all have a knowledge of this Creator from what He's created. It is as if He's placed us in a magnificent art gallery. And though we have never seen the artist... We see these hundreds and thousands of beautiful paintings. We learn what He, the God of creation, is like. There are different places for different people, of course. Some in nature, some in the city, but in all places people see the beauty of our Creator. Where did this richness, this beauty this life come from? What kind of artist is this? What kind of power must he possess to have created the beauty that he has? How good and generous he must be? How must we owe everything to him? We can even consider our own personal little bubble. Just our our own little small painting. 
But God's art gallery extends way beyond that. Mile after mile, all around the world, galaxy after galaxy. All of creation communicates the greatness of God. That's why verse 20 says, no person has an excuse. All people do know that God exists. As sophisticated as our questions and doubts are, the reason that people have such a hard time seeing this God in creation is not because of the shortage of evidence. The problem is within people, within every one of us. It's because of our fallen sinfulness. It is not as if people are morally neutral. People have no business even saying that they're trying to find that God of creation. He's all around. They see his handiwork everywhere. The problem instead is that they love their sin. This is wired into every one of us. It's called the old sin nature. Because people love their sin, they decide to justify it by ignoring the reality of God. As a believer, this might sound obvious. But how do we meet someone where they are if they have not accepted the truth? I don't think it's going to help to tell them all about their sinful nature. But instead, I think that we can frequently point out the glory of God. And we can love them like Jesus would love them. Meet people where they are and show them Jesus. This is how we reveal the love of God. The wrath of God is already revealed because every sin in the face of overwhelming evidence of God in His eternal power and divine nature deserves the wrath of God. Every sin is a denial of who God is. Verse 20, people are without excuse. Yet, the world ignores truth. The world might be in trouble. The second reason... God's wrath is being revealed comes from verses 21 through 23. Verses 21 through 23. It is the idolatry problem. The result of ignoring truth causes a terrible decline into futility and into darkness. Apart from a right understanding of who God is, there can be no right thinking. No right feeling. No right being. Ignoring truth culminates in a horrible exchange for the glory of God. Instead of seeking the glory of God, we seek man-made images, idolatry, 
Too often we hear this word idolatry, especially in our Western American culture, and we think of primitive people bowing down to to wood-carved idols. As American Westerners, we have such a hard time imagining that we would do such a thing as that. But at its root, idolatry is an exchange of the truth of God for a lie. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Idolatry is worshiping and serving created things rather than the Creator. Idolatry does not need to involve wood-carved idols. It can be something that we even create in our own mind that we put before God. Too often we search for fulfillment and for purpose of life in created things rather than our Creator. Idolatry can even be creating a lifestyle for ourselves that we seek to reach and, and to maintain. When we devote our time and our attention and our ambitions toward worldly things rather than God, this is idolatry. The world might be in trouble because of this idolatry problem. Idolatry is this tragic exchange of the glory of God for the dust of this world. It is idolatry that characterizes the world in which we live, isn't it? All people were made to worship something. There's just something inside of us that we feel a desire to worship. But having turned away from truth, the one true God, then people look to gods elsewhere. They may not call them gods, but it doesn't change the fact that it is idolatry. What are the uh, idols of our culture? Hmm. What are the idols of our life? Your life, my life. Paul lists some of the idols in verse 23. Our scripture in Romans is communicating a wide range of idolatry from mortal people all the way down to reptiles. Our idolatry is undiscerning. We can turn any created thing into an idol. What great power we have, huh? Really good things like work. Money, food, relationships. Maybe your idol is serving in the church. These are good things. We have to be careful they don't become our idols. Or maybe our idols are really low and debased things like pornography, drugs, Violence, even to the full extent of a war. In every idol, we give created things the place that God deserves in our lives. In our lives, with our affections, with our choices, we are declaring what 
we love. Created things, many times over our Creator. The world is in trouble because there is an idolatry problem. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven because of the idolatry problem. The third reason God's wrath is being revealed is that the world loves sin. Look at verses 26 to 32. Now first, let me tell you what I saw when I read through this. The most terrifying part of today's Scripture to me is revealed in verse 26a, the first half, and verse 28. How will God punish this suppression of truth and turning to idolatry? What's His wrath look like? God is going to do a terrible thing. Not sulfur and fire from heaven. Not a devastating flood. No. Look at what God will do. He is going to give sinners exactly what they want. Verse 26, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. When our scripture tells us in verse 18 that the wrath of God is being revealed, it is not referring to a future judgment that's coming. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness, all the wickedness, now, right now, in the presence, in the present time. In verse 28, Part B of that verse says, So God gave them over to a depraved mind. Do you wonder why the world is in trouble? The world is experiencing the wrath of God for their sins. This wrath is a terrifying thing. God is giving sinners over to the destructive sins that they want and that they love because they just keep turning their back on God. And guess what? This is not a New Testament revelation. If you read the Old Testament, you see the same thing happening there. Whenever Israel would worship the idols of the surrounding nations, God's judgment meant that He would give them what they wanted and allow them to worship those idols. He would allow them to be enslaved and oppressed by the foreign idols, the foreign gods and powers that they so loved. This is what's happening here in these verses, verses 26 to 32. This is what is happening in America today. And in the rest of the world today, God is handing humanity over to the captivity that they have chosen for themselves. When God gives us over to our sin, God is not imposing some kind of external evil upon your life. He's letting you choose. God just removes 
his gracious restraint over humanity. He does this to help reveal what actually exists within our hearts. And it becomes ugly. When we find in our old sin nature, what we find there is a hatred for God and a love for sin. God warned His people that their idolatry and love for sin would lead to ruin. In the Old Testament, in Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. You've heard this before. You might want to write it down. They sow to the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. We cannot sow our wild oats through our shameful lusts and then pray to God for a crop failure. Instead, we reap the results of our destructive behavior and we reap for the wrath of God. We just continue to spin helplessly out of control. A whirlwind all the way to hell. And the fact remains, the world loves sin. In our idolatry, we have turned away from God to ourselves. If we keep it up long enough and we fail to repent, God simply hands us over. Hands us over to what we have chosen for our idol God. God's wrath today is simply allowing unrepentant people to love their sin and to sink deeper and deeper into the mess that they make for themselves. Take a look at verse 29 to 31. You see right here in these verses a catalog of wicked, evil sin. When God hands people over to sin, it's not limited to our sexual orientation. Sin against God. Against our very good God, our Creator. It pervades every area of our life our relationships, our words, our actions, even our thoughts and intents deep down in our heart. This catalog of sin in this scripture here, it's not meant to be a description of any one person. This is what characterizes a fallen human society. No one can escape. Looking at the list, we might think, this is not me. I'm not a murderer. I am not ruthless. Well, yeah, but we're not allowed to pick. Pick and choose from this list. Have you ever told a little white lie? Have you ever gossiped? It's in the list. Have you ever been envious, really wanting something very much? Have you ever been greedy? 
Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Have you ever worked towards something? Something that you really felt God wanted you to do, yet you lacked real faith that it was going to happen? That's what we call lacking fidelity. It's on the list. These are very real, very evil, very wicked sins. And each one incurs the wrath of God. What is striking in the way that these sins are listed right here in this text is how they are next to each other. Right there with murderers are the slanderers. God-haters are right there with the parent-haters. The inventors of evil are right there with the envious. And the ruthless are listed right here with the faithless. People want to create categories of sin. We would like to think that if we stay away from those mortal sins, however we define those, then we might be okay. Sure, all sins are bad, but my little small sins, there's something that surely God can overlook. And that's not so. Look at verse 32. It tells us, from big sins to small sins, those who do such things Things deserve death. Total separation from God. God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and the wickedness that ignores His truth. We are living in a disordered society. Far from the created order that God had in mind. Our society is becoming a a picture of what humanity has earned by our idolatry and our love for sin. Doesn't this sound like the description of the world we live in? Even more important that we need to think about, does it sound like a description of your life? And if you think about that question and you answer no, is it because God just misunderstood you? Or is it maybe because you misunderstood God? Could it be that you have been living under the terrible conspiracy of the suppression of truth? What I want all of us to take away from here today is is not necessarily a to-do list, an, an action item plan for you. What we need as a takeaway this morning, perhaps for the first time as we rethink Easter, is the awful realization that we belong to a world that has horribly gone wrong. Our world has defiantly turned us back on the creator of the creator of all in a manner of wickedness and evil 
Our world is now under the just and the righteous condemnation of God, His wrath. The world might be in serious trouble. This isn't the rest or the end of the story. Like I said earlier, I want you to take some time to read Romans chapter 2. And next week we're going to look at, please come even though it sounds horrible, (laughs) we might be in trouble. Now I just can't end here. Like I started out, I I just can't do it. The world might be in trouble, but God... But God gives us the gospel. This is where the gospel really begins. It begins in our brokenness, in our realization that we are under the wrath of God because we love sin. But God has mercy upon us. Yes, praise the Lord. If you don't understand your brokenness, you really have no gospel. Easter really has no meaning to you. All the world, every human division, every community, every country and race and culture and language and wealth and education and class is obliterated by this one massive commonality. We are Sinners, all of us, and we need to be saved by God. But God raised him from the dead. That's what we're leading to. That's what we are rethinking about Easter. We are leading up to God's answer and God's promise for this trouble that we are living in. Let's go to God in prayer. And Brian, are you prepared to share a little bit about leadership team? No? Okay. <laughs> Let's go to our Lord in prayer and the worship team will lead us in our last song. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for being such a beautiful creator God that we can see your glory all around us. And Lord, we confess that we are broken, that we still love sin. But Lord, you give us the power over that, to to have the power over sin and instead to love you. What a merciful God you are. Thank you for having mercy upon us and having the grace that you have to send Jesus to go to the cross for us so that we can have eternal life with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.